This is the Daily Coaching Podcast, bringing you thoughts, discussions and expert insight into all things football and coaching. Done a few months YTS and then got a five-year pro at Barnet. It's not what you've done, it's what you're doing. You know, football is one part of the journey. I'm on the next now, you know, so... In today's episode, I get to know ex-professional footballer Marlon King. Now Marlon has had an unbelievable career, playing for clubs such as Watford, Birmingham, Nottingham Forest and has represented Jamaica with the men's senior team on a number of occasions. We talk his journey from grassroots through to becoming a professional, the barriers, challenges and benefits of growing up in and around London, how to maintain being a pro at the top level and some fun discussions around the players in the current game that he would love to play with. This episode is a must listen, so therefore, let's get straight into it. I always start with one of my guests if they can take it back way to the start, so kind of around your upbringing um, and how you kind of fell in love for the game of football. Yeah, David, nice to have me, man. Um, to be honest, um, started born and raised in Peckham, South East London. Um, and just, just an estate kid, man. Just, um, you know, my dad and, and, and my uncles were really big into the community football. So we used to go to like local um, community centres, we used to call them. Um, like Tech, now it's called the Demola Taylor Centre. Um, this Bradfield boys, different centres. We used to go and just play indoor football with a big green kind of football, which was like, it looked like a big tennis ball. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was roasting in there. And, you know, it was just after school, you just, that's all we used to look forward to. It's just after school, going to, to the community centre and just hanging out with the people from the estate. So that's where, where my, my love kind of picked up from, you know. Nice. Do you know, it's very interesting when you mention that. So um, two things. Number one, I come from Deptford, so only just down the road, really. Um, and very similar um, sort of like football, early football sentences to you. Like I remember I used to either play in a cage, which was obviously just gravel, um, or the yeah. red car, which was a crazy surface to play on. Because if it had been raining, it's, it's just not even yeah, it peak. to stay up like, and not fall over. Yeah. Um, well, Deptford, we had, you had what, moonshot? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we had Moonshot and then you obviously Peeps Estate. Yeah. Um, so like I, I'm familiar because obviously I've got family members that that are from that 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 borough. So I understand exactly what you're saying. And in terms of like being dangerous, yeah, you go onto an open cage and there'll be like broken glass bottles, and then if there weren't no goals, you just had to use your coats. And just keep playing until you know the lights didn't provide enough light to 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 to, to provide for your game, you know. So no, I totally get it, man. Hundred percent. And also as well, the other things was that I say that I went to go and play football. You'd probably get about one or two touches because it's like thirty v thirty. You never know who's turning up. Um, and yeah, you about like until the lights go down. It was a challenge just getting into there because a lot of the time the cages were locked. So you'd have to like crawl under something or try and get in. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think for me, those like settings are the most pure because even when you mentioned about the big green like tennis ball, things like that, things like in school where you play with like those air floaters. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. With like a the, the yellow and black ones. Yeah. <laughs> or the, you have the blue and black, you have the, the, the blue with the, the black dots, yeah. you know, and, and those things were, were, were quite expensive to buy, yeah. but it wouldn't last too long because if a dog got hold of it, or you, you kicked it too hard, it was bursting. So, you know, it's, um, no, th th those are memories. And we didn't have social media back, back then. We didn't have the internet. So basically for us, us older heads, I mean, look, I'm going to be 41 next month. Um, it was a case of coming when the lights, you know, when it got dark, that's when you come in sort of thing. So you had to, you had to find entertainment for yourself you know, after school. So once you do your homework, if you've done your homework, <laughs> always do your homework, kids. Um, you know, your parents are like, just had trust in you. And it was a community feel. Everybody knew each other. And, you know, when your mum and dad went out, if they weren't in by the time you went to go home, you just had to either wait on a doorstep or you had to go around to somebody else's house who could provide some accommodation for you, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. It, it, it's crazy because... Do you know what? A lot of people would look at that, and especially like with how, you know, typically you'd want to sort of like, you know, people have, I say, let's, I'd love to be able to bring my family up in this setting or I'd love to be able to provide these sort of football facilities. But in my eyes, and I've always said this, like, I think it's so important to experience that because it yeah. makes you so independent. Like, even like you said, because there was no social media and to be honest with you, even at like an early age, I maybe have a phone, but, you know, you can't do half the things you can do on it now. It literally just makes a phone call or probably a text. So you turn up to these cages or these pitches, not knowing even if anyone's going to be there. So it's just literally yeah. turn up, see if anyone's there um, and kind of get playing. And I remember like um, around Deptford, there was, well, obviously Deptford doesn't really have no teams. Anyway, like I said, you have a moonshot, which is kind of like a community setting. Um, but even that, that was in New Cross. But um, I remember the only club, and it was a club I actually joined, and I think it was like 14, and I was only there for a season because it shut down because of like finances, was Red Lion. So Red Lion. Lion. Oh. So yeah, so that was the only club. And even then, like I said, after a year, it shut down. So actually, I had to come across to Peckham to play football. So I played for grassroots teams like Athenley and, and Dulwich Hamlet, even though there were so many spin-offs of Dulwich Hamlet that it was crazy. But what was it like for you getting into like a team around your area? Was it was there much? I know it was more in Peckham than it was Deptford, but was there many opportunities? Well, you mentioned Dulwich Hamlet. Um, that's where it kind of all started for me, like in terms of like getting into the professional world. Because I originally, you mentioned Red Lion. Um, I originally started at Mill. I went down to trial out for Mill when I was like, 13, 14, and you know they had, back in the days, they had the, the YTS um, youth training um, scheme system where basically they would choose maybe five players out of maybe 30, 40 players to take you on to a, a youth training scheme, which you would do for two years. And then you you have your, 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 first, your first year YT and your second year YT basically cleaning the boots of the professionals that are playing in the first team and then to see if you can pro progress on to get, get your professional contracts. Well, I went down to Millwall. Um, at the time, they were in the equivalent to the Premier League, which was the first division, and Mick McCarthy was the manager. And even though I was, I was tearing out, man, I was, I was really doing well. But at that stage, 
it, it's, it's kind of like there was a lot of mum and dads that had a lot of influence on, um, on, on managers and coaches at that time. And, you know, for whatever reason, I didn't, my dad will come or my mum come, they'll come at separate times because my mum and dad didn't live together. Um, so it wasn't a case of where I had an outside influence on the manager to speak to him, to say, look, my son's this or my son's that. It was me basically turning up and just trying to do what I can do. I didn't get picked. And um, I reverted to um, semi-professional. So I decided to go college, do um, social studies and uh, leisure and tourism um, at Westminster College while playing for Dulwich Hamlet because I knew they were a good um, semi, semi-professional team. There's a lot of players that, that graduated in terms of like Les Ferdinand, Ian Wright, Liam Cool, Carl Cool, Jason Yule. I mean, the list goes on in terms of the players that came at Dulwich Hamlet. So I said, let me go down there. And I was only 15 at the time, working for Domino's Pizza. I was delivering pizzas on my, on, on my little um, Honda, Honda little motorbike around Catford. And, um, and I was smashing it. I started in the first team sorry, with the reserves with Stevie Watts. Um, I don't know if you remember um, Stevie Watts. He, was, he won the, there was an advert for a player that you could put in um, to get a, comp- a competition, win a competition to get a professional contract. And he won it and went on to Leighton Orient. I was down there with him. I was down there with um, Leon Court as well. He went on to play for Stoke, etc. And um, at 15, I was tearing it up. Um, went on to the first team, tearing it up. And then clubs were coming in for me. But what I didn't know was because I weren't 16, I couldn't legally sign a professional contract. Okay. So Dulwich Hamlet didn't tell me about teams like Wimbledon coming in for me and other teams coming in for me because they wanted me to sign with them so they could get a fee for me. So then when I turned 16, they were forcing me to, they were pressurising me to sign a, a contract. Um, and then I found out about Barnet. And Barnet were in the equivalent to the second division, League One. Um, and then I, heard, I got wind about what they, what, what they had done with not telling me about what teams had come in for me. And then I just said, no, you know what, I'm going to go down and try my luck. So I went down there, done a few months YTS and then got a five-year pro at Barnet and then never looked back really. Nice. Well, when you was coming through those systems, because even as you're telling me your story there, it sort of like, resonates to me so much. Like I had so many um, sort of friends in school who would get trials, who would get sort of like invites to come down to clubs. And obviously around that area, you know, you had your Millwalls, like you mentioned, you had your Charlton, your Crystal Palace. Um, Wimbledon was probably a little bit too far for people over near my side, but with yeah. those, those clubs, like, don't get me wrong, I always say that London is a benefit because there's so many clubs. Like, say, for example, if you're a bit more out, you know, like, I don't know, southeastern regions or, or like a bit more Midlands areas, you only have, like, say, three or four clubs, professional teams anyway. Um, but obviously, in London, you have a lot more professional teams. And like you mentioned, even like, you know, Wimbledon and, and even Barnet, they're pronounced for bringing... Charlton, Millwall, West Ham. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but... Like you just said, there was always an element of craftiness about these clubs. And I think the reason being is because because obviously London is so populated, they can get pretty much anybody they want. So, you know, they'd invite someone down, they give them the kit, 
give them sort of like the false persona of, you know, you're one of our players now, week over for the trial, and then they let them go again. And even just for you telling your story there, it frustrates me because you think, you know, there's so many talented players. And even like you look at the current uh, England squad and England under 21 squad and, and even loads of international teams. There's so many players that have come through from London. What, what do you reckon it is that's kind of stopping the London footballers and the London footballers from actually getting charges? Because I don't think it's always down to them. I think like you mentioned about opportunities of, you know, people where parents can take them to sessions or parents can take them to matches or travel. For me, travel is such a big thing of just being able to actually go along to training or go along to a match. Uh, do you know what, David? That's a great, that's a great point, bro. Um, to be honest, I think London is a massive attract, uh, attraction being a capital. Even if you look at like a professional coming from abroad, usually they'll pick a London club because, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a capital of England and they like the lifestyle. So London clubs always, unless you're the Man United and the Man Cities or Liverpools, they're always going to have the pick of, of, of the, the, you know, best of the crop. So, but then on, on the flip side, London also has a lot of distractions. So there's a lot of players that I grew up with, and I'm sure you grew up with as well, that are actually maybe technically and more gifted than us, but didn't make the grade because of different, you know, distractions. When you go further up north, you eat, sleep, dream football. Yeah. You know, when you play for a club like Middlesbrough or Hull, when you, you know, you go to bed with a football, whereas in London, it's a bit different. There's so many different um, dynamics to the capital city. Um, so many different distractions and, and um, obstructions. And, you know, it, it's, 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 it's totally different to when you go further up north. If you look at the fans, yeah. the passion is a bit different up north than it is down south. I can say that as, a, as an ex-pro you know, you go into wherever, whatever shop, barber shop, wherever you're going up north, you you know, you can't really get away from the attention. With London, you kind of blend into the crowd. That's why some players like to be in London because you can just maybe go out, have a meal and it's not football in, um, orientated because there's other people from different aspects of life that are surrounded you. Because when you go up north, even the business owners, the shopkeepers, everybody's got a shirt on, follows their team. So, in London, it's it's very, and then you've got a, a bigger crop of talent. You know the ones that are coming from abroad. You know kids that are, 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 are um, you know, from different countries, um, different ethnic backgrounds, competing all in one space. Whereas up north, it's like okay, they they kind of know who's good and who's not good. And whereas in London, you get look at Kante. You know, you get players from Africa and Germany, France, and they all come to London and then you've got to compete with that also now, these days. So it's very difficult. Yeah, no, 100%. It's, yes, it's always something that sort of like makes me think. And, I, and obviously, don't get me wrong, I don't think there's like one answer that fits all because I think, you know, depending on sort of like backgrounds, environments, circumstances, situations, yeah, it's all going to affect people differently. But yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think the point you made about sort of like, 
you know, in London, let's be honest, typically when you think of London, if say, for example, if you're not from London, you probably just think of like the city and finances and things like that. Whereas, like you said, when you go, say, for example, more up north, football is a prominent thing for a lot of the people. And, you know, they live, like I said, they live, eat, sleep, football. So, yeah, I get it. But yeah, I agree. I think there's just, there's so much talent. And that's why it makes me really proud for when people like yourself come out of London and then go on to do what you've done, because I know how difficult it is. I mean, listen, I was never at that level where I could, I could probably, even like we go for trials and stuff like that. But I just know through people that have been around that, yeah, it's so tough to actually get through that barrier almost. But obviously, like you said, you, you went on to go and do that. And obviously you went to Barnet. What was the sort of, because obviously I'm a coach, I always like to try and pick up on the sort of differences within the coaching that you experienced. Because obviously, let's typically think, when we play for Sunday league teams, you know, it's typically a dad or a parent or an uncle who, you know, really and truthfully, they're more on the physical elements of things rather than the actual tactical and ways of playing. But when you go into an actual club and an environment, how does that coaching change in the type of learning and education of football that you receive? Okay, so that's a, that's a real, real, real good question. What I noticed straight away, especially as I went up um, in levels of, of, of the football kind of fraternity, it isn't, how can I put this? Lower league or the, the lower leagues of football, people focus on how they look instead of how they perform. That's one of the Biggest aspects, you know, um, I found the colour of the boots, you know, the, it, 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 when you go lower down, if you see some of the, the non-league players, you know, they look fancy um, and want to do all the difficult things first. Now, what you have to transition when you go high level is to do the basics first. The rest will come later. And even if you look at a player like Ronaldo, who's one of the greatest of all time, when he went to, to Man United at the beginning, I think he went through that process. You know, he was his hair, fancy haircuts and step overs. And then he elevated his game. He, 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 he was around players that says, no, we, we, we want a delivery. We don't care about it. You can do as many step overs as you want, but we want end product. And that's what's expected of you as the higher you go. They don't care whether you wear old-fashioned boots, what we want, and we want delivery, execution. And without that, you can't progress. So I always say to the young players, always say to any kids around me that are interested in playing football, any advice I can give them, even for you as a coach, um, start with the basics. From kickoff, have it in your head. Let me get my first touch right. Your game will elevate from there your confidence will grow your your knowledge your everything your wisdom everything will grow if you start with the basics don't try and do the difficult things first and I think that's where a lot of players non-league who have talent are over, overly confident and then as you step up you will see the difference between playing non-league football and just being fast or just having the most amount of skill into understanding the kind of technicalities of the game. Yeah, no, 100%. Do, do you think that that's kind of down to the fact that, and, you know, it's, it's all down to people's perceptions, obviously, but a lot of people probably who are in that sort of non-league uh, scene 
you know, they're probably really, depending on obviously their age, maybe thinking, you know, I'm desperate to make it as a pro, even though in my eyes, even if you're playing non-league, if, you know, nowadays a non-league level is, is, is for me an elite level anyway, because it's, you know, such a good standard. But do you reckon they, they almost try to stand out and is constantly trying to impress to potentially go higher up? Um, and also as well, even with like the, um, the, the the coaching stuff that you mentioned, I think sometimes coaches are of that same mindset where they just, they, they think they need to be the loudest or, you know, put the emphasis on all the fancy stuff when actually, like you mentioned, for me, like I said, looking back at grassroots, I, I, I used to play centre-back. So when I used to come up against strikers, I can remember those strikers like it was yesterday because ultimately they didn't do nothing fancy, but do you know what they done? Scored goals. They would get about 50 goals a season purely because they got the ball, they would shoot. And they was effective at doing that. And I think it's almost yeah. like picked up for that. So why would you want to take that rawness out of them of the ability to score goals to try and do something fancy from a coach or as a player, try and do something fancy when that's what you can do. You can score goals. Why need to try something different almost? Yeah, no, David, listen, I, I, I totally agree with you. And that, and that, that's, it's, it's such fine margins in terms of whether you can make it or not. It's One, it's the discipline. Two, it's the understanding of the game as well. Like You need to be able to listen. Um, a lot of coaches are the alpha male in their environment. So they want to take that on to the next level without being humble enough to go, let me just sit back, learn and adjust. If you can't do that, you won't be able to elevate. You, you won't see no non-league coach or manager go to that next level. We're taking that, that kind of, um, that ego into the next. So you have to be able, as much as you're confident, you've got the ability, because there are managers, there are coaches, there are players in non-league that could smash the Premier League. I mean, look, look at Jamie Vardy. Jamie Vardy, knows how to humble himself and say, all right, there's certain tweaks to my game because I've got the natural ability, I've got the speed and I can score goals. So how do I transition that from non-league to the professional league? And, and it's such small, small margins. Trust me, I'm telling you, like there's so many gems in non-league that are waiting to burst on to do... To, there's so many other Jamie Vardy's, yeah. right? It's just those fine margins to be able to humble yourself. Also, and I'll, and I'll give uh, this as a bit of an advice as well and, and an advantage, you have social media. So a player that you're coming up against, study, like if it's a defender, study him. Great point. Because you, you see what I'm saying, Dave? So we didn't have social media. We didn't have um, kind of any inside knowledge. It was like, okay, that's, that's the back four, crack on sort of thing. Now, study your opposition. Even on league, I'm sure there's YouTube videos and stuff of players you're playing against. Start to get the, gain the advantage. When you're in the tunnel, let him know because psychologically, you can actually win the game in the tunnel. And, and a lot of it, the, the mental side of it is huge. Understand that, okay. I've got pace, I've got movement and I've got my midfield, my defence, my goalkeeper, and my managers behind me. I know we're going we're gonna to dominate you this game. Those things need to be imposed before you even step out on the field. You know, any sort, even as a coach, 
I'm sure you guys do your research now. Just and it's it's brilliant, man. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic point. And it's true. Like people can, you know, like I said, YouTube, um, think about how many players put sort of like portfolio videos of themselves as well. Like it's crazy because when you think of it in that way, like they're exposing themselves to all their opposition, which, you know, <laughs> probably isn't the intended outcome, but actually it does. And and I agree. I think for me as a coach anyway, when I talk to players or when I talk to other coaches and I'm mentoring them, I always say that there's this fixation on the how. But for me, what's almost more important is the where, the when, and the why. Because they're the decision-making elements of, number one, like you said, who are you coming up against? So it's not what am I going to do against, say, for example, I'm a striker, what am I going to do against a defender? It's who is that defender? Why am I making the decisions of what I'm going to be doing? And where and when do I actually execute that how? Um, and I think that a lot of people, you know, and it's, it's crazy because when I coach a lot of younger boys, I always use this sort of like, um, I don't know how you put a quote, that when I ask boys, and I used to coach boys in, sec- in, in schools, and I'd say to them, you know, I need a solution. They would give one solution to a thousand problems. Whereas girls, because they're the better decision makers and problem solvers, they will give a thousand solutions to one problem. And, and that's what you kind of need as a footballer. You need to come up with all of these different solutions. And don't get me wrong, it's not to get your brain modelled up because some players won't be able to deal with all those thoughts in their head. But yeah, having all those different solutions in your head to be able to adapt and appropriately put them in, I think is a key thing here because ultimately that's what you need to do on the pitch. You're a decision maker and the coach, they should be telling you what to do. They can advise and give support and suggestions, but ultimately it's a player who is a person performing on the day. 100%. I, I totally agree with you. And I, I think the biggest thing for us as sportsmen, coaches, players, referees is, is, is to enjoy it. I think a lot of people forget that aspect. I think sometimes, and you do play your best football when you, you know, you're having fun. You know, if you can, if you can merge the basics with enjoying yourself, you'll get your best performances. Yeah, 100%. that's what that's what I can say. I, I think there is the technical aspect, there is the, the you know studying the players, but enjoy yourself. Life is bigger than football. You know, it's if you have a bad game, you know, don't beat yourself up. Reevaluate. Just see where you can improve and go again, because there's always going to be another game, and the games come round so fast. You know. And the time that you get over that, you had a bad game last week, the next game is upon you. And then you can, what you can do is you can fall into a trap of having five, six, seven game, bad games. And then you just, you know, some people, if you're not mentally strong enough, you can give up on the sport totally. I've seen it happen before, even managers and coaches. So do your research and, and, and just enjoy it, man. I mean, it's a sport at the end of the day and just, just, just take it to where you feel you can take it. If you if you believe in yourself, you, you'll get to where you want to get to. Trust me. A hundred percent. And it goes back down to the reason as to even when we just first started off the conversation about the environments that we played football in. We played them because we enjoyed it and it was fun. And, you know, it wasn't no stresses or no problems. It was just you're playing because you enjoy playing football. Um, what yep. I want to 
the club points because obviously you play for some massive clubs and obviously you've also played international football as well. How does that change? Because obviously you've mentioned how it kind of changes in terms of the coaching from grassroots to when you go into sort of these first team environments and more elite settings. But how does it change as you kind of go up the leagues when, you know, managers, I suppose, have a bit of pressure on them from, you know, potentially having to stay in a league or going up from a league? Um, and also on the international stage, when, when I spoke to players before and, you know, they might be playing a certain way in their club, then when they're with their international team for like a week or two weeks, they're almost being forced to play a totally different style of football and, and something which is not them almost. Yeah, I mean, look, we, 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 there's so many players, even myself, that go through that same phase. Um, and it's... It's different circumstances, man. I mean, look, if you're at a workplace and you're working for a company that's going into liquidation, how do you, you know, if you know your job's on the line or you know you're going to lose your job at the end of the month, that how, how do you perform? It's, it's very difficult. But then you've got to just kind of tone in and say, look, this is my livelihood. I mean, you look at Gareth Bell. I mean, he's, he's hot and cold for Spurs, but guys... You know, he's a legend. You know, look what he's done for Real Madrid, but Real Madrid don't see him as one of their own, even though he's won four or five Champions League with them. You know, it's just... Look, life is opinionated, man. It is, And I say this all the time. You know, opinions, they're like buttholes, man. Everyone's got one and they all stink. You know, I, at the end of the day, you just got to know how to mentally control your confidence and not let somebody else, whether, whether you're a plumber, electrician, a sportsman, whatever you are, like put you down. You, got, you have to believe in yourself before you believe in others. So for me, I never want to use the excuse of it was this manager or it was that manager. Sometimes it could be formations. You might be a striker, David, or a centre-half and you're playing right back. And then you get this tricky winger, skins you, and you're like, well, I'm centre-half. You know, these things happen. It's life. But what you've got to do is every game, try and give it your all and enjoy it. That's all I can say. I mean, I've played at clubs where it's gone well, I've played at clubs where it hasn't gone well. It's just how it works. If you name one player that every club that he's gone to, he was on fire and he done well at every single club. I mean... We could say Ronaldo, but he's, you know, he's a freak of nature, to be honest. He scored over 700 goals. That's not normal, you know. Yeah. So, but for the rest of us, you know, it's, it happens. You have good days, you're going to have bad days. It's just dusting yourself off, readjusting, understanding why you made them, those mistakes and going again. Yeah, no, 100%. And would you say that for you, maybe, especially that's how you kind of maintained being a footballer. Because I remember, again, I spoke to some players before and they say that actually the hardest bit is, uh, well, the easy bit is getting in a trial, which even though sometimes I would potentially disagree because I think it's hard enough getting a trial as it is anyway. But yeah. the maintaining part's the hardest part because obviously, as you kind of mentioned, you know, you're going to have different managers come in, you, you know, you, you're going to have different circumstances with where the team's at. And, and again, not all of that boils down to you. You know, imagine, like you said, a team's going, imagine a team's going in liquidation. We've heard of that in many scenarios and circumstances, or there's been a takeover. But for you, would yeah. you that's how you've maintained being, you know, a professional footballer by just, like you said, brushing off the things that, the uncontrollables almost, and just playing your game? 
Yeah, bro. I mean, look, and the higher you go up, there's no hiding place. Like the, the, the standard is set from training. There's, the, the, you know, the lower you go down, you can, you can have a bad touch and your pace might get you out of, of trouble or you might miss a ball and you're a centre-half, you're really fast, you can miss kick it and then run and get it back and retrieve it. As you go up, the mistakes are more detrimental. So you miss kick it or 90th minute, you, you, you're breathing. You know, when you get to the Premier League, the championship, they break, it's a goal. And when you watch and you do a debrief and everybody's in a room, all the fingers point at you. So your career can change. So the, 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 the concentration levels are a lot, lot higher as, as you go up in leagues, as you go up in, in, in standard. Um, but for me, in terms of um, what was the main asset of me keep elevating, regardless of what I was going through, is I kept believing in myself. And that's one thing you can never lose. And I'll say to these young kids all the time, any players managers, whether you're a referee, whatever you're doing, never doubt, not doubt yourself, but never stop believing, never, never, never stop believing in yourself. Always believe that you will be able to hit your targets. And, and that's one thing that you have to tune into your mental. You have to say, all right, or made up, or this manager don't like me, that manager, whatever, whatever's still believe in your abilities and what you can bring to the table. No, I love that. And, and, and do you know what that sort of, again, kind of makes you think about? Like I always try to, especially with players and, and coaches as well, but I always try and get players to strip everything away from football and find out about them as an individual and, you know, what key skills, qualities and traits do they have? Because ultimately, number one, there's life after football. Um, number two, like you said, sometimes, you know, certain situations, circumstances may happen within a player's career and, you know, football may not necessarily be at the forefront. They may drop down divisions or may drop out altogether. And I always say to them, like, what is it about you? Like, what have, what key skills do you have? And I think like there, you mentioned about the mental side of the game and, you know, just having the self-belief, um, you know, the ability to be able to, as I mentioned before, make decisions, solve problems, you know, being able to build effective relationships those around you, whether it be players, managers, coaches, and those things, you get respect from people. And, 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 you know, like you mentioned about some of the young players, when you see them coming through, you might see certain things within them and you probably respect them more based on certain ways in which they're acting to an extent, because that's how you believe, you know, things should be done in terms of being able to support them through that journey. Um, but I, yeah, I always think it boils back down to the personal key skills of the individual um, and then kind of football stuff fits in around that almost. Yeah, um, for me, one of the biggest kind of learning aspects was um, understanding um, your surroundings. Yeah. Um, and realising, as I said, I pointed out earlier, like life is bigger than sport. So... Never put all your eggs in one basket. That's one of my, my biggest kind of, um, that's my biggest advice that I can give to any, any youngster or any, anybody that's, that, that, that's looking to do um, something in a certain field. Look to, to, to try and test yourself at something else. Because if it doesn't work out, 
you know, it's it's a, I've seen a lot of my my peers, um, ex pros, you know, earn crazy crazy amounts of money, and um, you know when it, when their careers is is finished, it's 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 like doom and gloom, and it shouldn't be like that really because sport is a is a very short career, and then you've got your whole life to live after it, so you have to kind of train your brain and train your mental to to adjust to to any given circumstance. Whether you make it in the Premier League or whether it's non-league, you become a plumber or an electrician. You know, once you've you just got to keep hustling. You just got to have that hustle, the motivation, the drive, the discipline and dedication. As long as you can keep that, you know, whatever's thrown at you, you should be able to to, to deal with, you know. Yeah, 100%. And also it goes back to the point of self-belief, which you mentioned before. Because a lot of players, when I talk to them, that's why I always get them to strip football away from things. Because they go, well, all I know is football. Well, actually, no, it's not all you know. You know, when you actually break that person down and find out their key skills and qualities and characteristics. Yeah, like you said, you know, you've got people who are business owners in there. You've got people who are hands-on and practical and do practical jobs. You've got people who actually, without even noticing it, are very good at accountancy and financing type elements because, you know, they get a lot of money and they have to deal with where do I put this money and how do I spend it appropriately or not spend it appropriately sort of thing. So I think, yeah, it's a real key key skill and do you know what it's one of the big things I always say that I wish that and I know there's certain things that have come into play a bit more over the last recent years but I wish that like coaches are important and obviously I'm saying this and it kind of contradicts my role as a coach but I think do you know it's almost just more as important a mentor having a mentor yeah, life skills man yeah because life skills they do that and this is this is it, obviously it's, it's, it's coming to um, it's, it's been made aware a lot more now with social media, like mental health, mental awareness, and mental health. Because a lot of players, you got to understand whether it's a sportsman or, you know, people people have different different scars, different different um, experiences in terms of their childhood and stuff like that. You know, when you see um, these big superstars and stuff, and things happen to them. You know, there's a lot going on behind the background. They're just human. So, um, and I can speak for myself, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not an excuse, but one thing that, you know, a lot of people with talent don't get taught is, is life skills. Knowing your circle, knowing to turn it on and when to switch it off. And that's a big thing. And that's the difference between you being... How can I say this? Because he, he's like a little little brother to me, Ravel Morrison. He's the nicest kid in the world, the most gifted player I've ever seen play football. Um, and you speak to Rio Ferdinand, you speak to Silas Ferguson, they'll say the same thing. Then a Paul Pogba, you know, and those two came up in a youth team together. One's a World Cup winner, one's still trying to find his feet. But the, the one who's trying to find his feet has more ability than the one who's getting all these accolades. And it's those fine margins, knowing your team, knowing your circle, getting the right people around you, sleep, eat, drink healthy. Um, and just like a Paul Scholes. Paul Scholes was, so you speak to anyone, Sir Alex Ferguson's favourite player, easy to manage, didn't have to worry about him going to nightclubs and stuff. And, you know, the guy's a legend. So those 
are the things that kids that come from maybe broken homes or difficult neighborhoods, we don't sometimes have the role models. We, we chucked into a space where earning a lot of money and then people just want to be around us for the wrong reasons. So you automatically have that to deal with in terms of trying to perform to your, your highest ability. And then you've got the off-field attraction and distractions as well. So life skills, understand yourself um, and don't be ashamed to talk about anything that you're going through, man. Look, you're getting a lot of players now talking about mental health and depression and stuff like that. So if, you, if you're going through something and you know, David, more our time, revealing yourself was seen as a weakness. You know, if you spoke about um, things that you're going through in terms of um, it being a negative kind of aspect, it was like, you know, close your mouth, just get on with it you know, sort of thing was now there's platforms and there's different websites and stuff that you can reach out to and, and people that you can speak to about um, your, your kind of mental mind, mindset because your mindset is the most key thing and your biggest asset. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and the thing is as well, as I always say this, you need to understand the person before the player because ultimately, as you just mentioned there, like Ravel Morrison, you know, and it's not to knock the people who have, who have worked with him or have, you know, tried to develop him. But how many of those people have come through similar circumstances or settings or environments? Probably not that many. Now, the problem with that is, you know, listen, they might be great coaches and, and great influencers of being able to, you know, put in this learning and understanding within a player. But if they don't understand the certain circumstances, like I remember on, on, on one of the, um, I think it was the Rio Ferdinand one, and, and he said something about like, you know, he, he, he came late to training, but it was because his family didn't have access to a car. Well, how many people know that, that you know, who are dealing with him at the club? And that's why I think that, you know, coaches are great, but mentors are also key because, yeah, otherwise you don't have these people to help you along these journeys. And it's, it's very typical, even in, in, in some of the settings I've worked in in the past, people are very happy to work with the easier characters because, you know, they don't have to work too hard and, you know, they don't have to tell them twice. But actually, you, number one, you're not giving opportunities to everybody. Number two, as we've mentioned from environments and settings that we've come from, you are killing and absolutely getting rid of so many people with potential talent who deserve these opportunities. And, and like you mentioned about the sort of mental health aspect as well, you know, people in, in, like, at the moment in this time and day and age, they're saying about like, you know, should players be on social media? Well, for some players, that may be their space to be actually be able to put out that they are struggling. And because of some idiots on social media who always feel the need to comment on stuff, it's probably now blocking people from putting their emotions out, which, you know, if they're not going to put their emotions out on, on, on social media and they can't do it in, in person because, like you said, just because of, of how typically sometimes we feel as individual or as men, you know, we, we're creating such a barrier there for people to actually not only progressive in the game, but progressive in life because sometimes things get so hard for them. Yeah, no, it's... Um, I'll, I'll, I'll totally 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 agree with you I mean 
But the biggest thing is, and we'll come back to it, man, everyone, and this is one thing that I've got to say to, to, to a lot of people is that you've got to understand that you're going to be critiqued regardless of whatever you do. Yeah. You're going to be critiqued. You're going to have people that have positive opinions about you and you're going to have people that are going to have crap to talk about you. And, and what you can't do is let the crap overrule the positivity. Because you see it all the time. You you get, you know, you see what ratings play. And I used to see, like, my old team. To me, whether I had a... Because I might have had a fantastic game and then looked in a, the newspaper or seen on the internet. And they've given me, like, a low score. But that wouldn't affect me because I, I I know what I had done. Whereas you see players get their confidence dented by reading into somebody who's not even qualified and this is the big thing. This is, we can't feed. And I'll say to these youngsters, when you come up, you're going to be critiqued. You're going to have people have their opinions about you. That's just life. And once you can tap into that mindset, I mean, imagine Messi and Ronaldo. They must, you know, if they have a bad touch, you know, it's all over social media. They've got memes, but they still manage to keep their consistency going for all of these years. It's, it's the mindset you have to tap into what you can do, what you can believe in, and just give it your all. And when it comes to coaches, David, I'll say to you, any inspiring coaches, get to know the person before the player. Some players need an arm around them. Some players just need to kick up their butt, you know, and it's, it's horses for courses. And I find, for me personally, the best managers are the ones that can tell you exactly where you're going right not just when you're going not when you're doing no exactly where you're going wrong not just when you're you know so for me I like a manager pull me to the side all right Kingy look I'm not going to pay you I'm not going to play you this weekend so you pull me on a Thursday say it's Gareth Southgate or A.D. Bruford those man they're man managers Arsene Wenger is a man manager he's not just a technician he will pull you even Sir Alex Ferguson they'll pull you and say, right, I'm not playing you this weekend because this is how they're setting up, X, Y, Z, or I'll be looking at you in training. I don't feel you're 100%. Once you've got a manager that can explain to you why you're not in the team against a manager that you'll get into the change room on a Saturday and he lifts up the flipboard and you've been on fire all week long. I'm sure you've experienced, I'm sure all the players experienced it before. Been on fire, right, you're in the team but it's everyone's on edge when you get in the change room. Then he pulls up the flipboard and then you look at the team and you look at the bench and sometimes you might not even make the bench. That really, really can affect the player. So like small little, you know, attention to details, man, just being human. Some managers are not. Yeah. Anyway, that's a different, that's a different conversation, but. No, no, I totally agree with that. I think, yeah, that's really understanding. So so important but looking at the positives you, you've had an unbelievable career and you know even just from when you was coming up in the game I always think goals from you you know just constant goal scorer obviously you've done it at club level you've done it internationally as well looking kind of in the current game is there any players who like forward players that you just wish you could play for, play with sorry um, in this current day and age or, or any players that you think kind of are very similar to in the way which you play or would work well with in terms of the skills that you have and skills that they have? 
in terms of like strike partner or midfielder or any strike partners strike partners um in the current game strike partners I'd have to say somebody like I'd love to play with like a Marcus Rashford um being a youngster just seeing his hunger um just seeing he's unselfish as well you know he does a lot of running and it, obviously me being older you know we like the young players to do the running so I'd say for a strike plant, I would love to play with someone like Marcus Rashford because not only is he inspirational on the field and when I speak to players that are actually young about him and stuff like that he's such a level-headed kid and when the more people you got around you that like that you, you can only motivate you um, and seeing what he's doing you know getting an MBE um, and doing all the, the stuff for the, the, the free meals and stuff like that you, you just you know to come in and train with someone like that it just must be an absolute joy and as I said like when you speak to players that have been around him he, he carries that aura so for a youngster I would say yeah I would say I'll say a Marcus Rashford because he can play on the wing down the middle, you know, drop, drop deep, over the top. It's just, it's just, it's just a joy to watch. Nice. I, I think again, the points you mentioned there about the on the field stuff and off the field stuff as well, and even early run as well. You mentioned about sort of surrounding yourself with good people. I think the last key as well, because like you said, the aura of you know, it, like imagine I, if, if I was a player around him at Man United. I'd be thinking, what can I do? Or what, sorry, what am I not doing that, you know, he's doing? And, you know, even some of the old ones, you've got to be looking and thinking, surely, like, I'm so motivated off of what he's doing off of the pitch, especially, but also on it as well. And I, I think, like you said, there is a, is a definite um, sort of inspiration for any player coming up. But like I said, again, the interesting thing, and the reason why I mentioned that is because I think, you know, when you're coming through as a player, and obviously you see these next generations of players coming through, you know, we've all been watching players like yourself. And I think people take bits away from each individual which they watch and, you know, they, they, they mould themselves into almost all of their idols which they've watched throughout the game. For you, because you've had such a successful playing career, is there anything which you think to look back on in your time and say, do you know what, this is what I want to be remembered for in the game? whether it be sort of like a personal characteristic. So like you said before about, look, do you know what? It's just the belief to keep on going or whether it be sort of like a technical aspect of, of something you've done within a moment or a game or a season. That's a great question. I, I think for me, David, I think what I can take away from myself personally, having a lot of ups and downs in my career, on field, off field, um, good times, bad times, is where I'm, where I'm at today. And it's not what you've done, it's what, what, you, what you're doing. 100%. And I think, um, I speak to a lot of people like, um, in terms of um, my journey. And what I would say to you is, regardless, regardless of whether you have a really good game really bad game, a really good day, a really bad day. There's another day to come. So make that count. Because, you know, we can talk about football day long. When it comes to the end of the career, what happens next? Okay, what next? So while you're in that moment, um, 
how can you train your mind to adjust to any given circumstance? And that's what I like to be remembered for as well, is that, yeah, I had a, a football career, a, a somewhat successful football career. I had my troubles like a normal human being, but I still managed to come out on the other side. You see what I'm saying? So for me, that's, that's my kind of biggest outlet. It's okay. Football, and I watch football when I, when I can. It's, I don't make it um, a priority, priority of mine to watch football all the time. It's like I watch it when I can. I don't really dwell on it too much. And sometimes I might speak to my kids or someone might say, oh, or you might point something out. But, you know, there's so many different other conversations I can have, whether it be real life, whether it be the streets, whether it be uh, uh, playing football, whether it be getting in trouble, you know, and it's that whole kind of dynamic of um, and mixture of being a human being. And I think that's what's important is that you be able to diversify, just mix it up. And that's what. You know, as, as much as the football side, I've, you know, I've finished football now and I'm still relatively successful in terms of what I'm doing. And, you know, football is one part of the, 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 the journey. I'm on the next now, you know, so. No, I love that. I love that a lot. I think, like I said, you know, from where, like we said, we started off the conversation and like you said, the sort of, you know, scenario situations in which we, we've both similarly been brought up in, but you've got, got on to achieve in terms of, like you said, done football. But like you said, now you're on another journey and just through listening to you and how like, you know, the way in which you speak and like, you know, the, you know, you spoke about good aura. I said about Marcus Rashford. It's like that listening to you, you give off good aura, you give off that motivation. It's like an inspiration from not only your footballing journey, but also from you as a person. So, no, like I said, I love that, um, some of the quotations there. But listen, Marlon, I won't take up no more of your time. I know you're a busy guy. And like, this Anytime, is my brother. Fantastic getting to uh, know about your journey. And like I said, honestly, I mean, number one, really honoured to be able to have you on, on, the, on the podcast and so inspirational just listening to the way you talk about situations, scenarios, and just the outlook on life. When I heard you on one of the other podcasts, like I said, I thought it was crucial to get you on here. So, no, I really, really do. Yeah, man. Love, man. Keep winning. Keep doing your thing. Keep those numbers growing. I mean, I've only just kind of recently joined this whole Instagram thing. So, you know, it's uh, it's all new to me, but I'm just taking it in. It's whatever. But yeah, anytime, my brother, man. Love. Stay, stay winning. Stay safe. Keep positive. And any of you youngsters, follow David and his uh, coaching um, setup. Very inspirational guy, man. Flipping good guy. So, love, man. Make sure that you follow and subscribe to the Daily Coaching Podcast so that you never miss out on an episode.